It's great that we've been talking about community groups over the past few weeks here at Renaissance Church, as our lead pastor, Christian, spoke about this morning. If you haven't had a chance to sign up for one, I hope you do. We want to connect with you, and we want you to connect with others. Last week, Christian talked about unity and the need to be unified with one another, especially in the time and place in which we live. So I hope you do sign up. You won't be disappointed. I know some of you, though, need a little bit extra encouragement and motivation to sign up. Because sometimes it's easier to not connect, to just hunker down and retreat in isolation. I, like you, have been watching the news with my family, seeing the the calamity and the chaos going all over in our culture over the past few weeks, and it makes me want to leave this place. The other night at dinner, I, I joke with my family that maybe we should move to a remote place in North Dakota, raise alpacas in the middle of nowhere, to get away from it all. My wife and daughter were not so much in favor of that. My son actually was. In reality, though, I know that living off the grid in remote areas to avoid the problems of this world is, is not the way the Lord wants us to live. Nor do I know anything about raising alpacas or, or even what they're used for. I did turn it into an opportunity for a teaching moment with my kids, saying that, look, while the culture doesn't look very good right now, we can have hope. Even as we get through this time, there may be other calamities, other problems, other issues in the future that, that, that we'll need to face, and it's okay to face them. The focus isn't about escaping or retreating, but about focusing on hope in the Lord and bringing Him glory and honor. You know, C.S. Lewis writes, hope is one of those theological virtues. It means a continual looking forward to the eternal world. It's not of a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but one of the things a Christian is meant to do. It doesn't mean that we are to leave the present world as it is. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. When I was reflecting about this, I immediately thought of the book of 1 Peter. You know, the whole purpose of the book of 1 Peter is written so that, that Christians would, would stand firm in true grace of God in the face of, of escalating persecution and suffering. The men and, and women to which Peter wrote were under heavy trials, being rejected by the society that they were in, so severely rejected that they were experiencing, on, on some occasions, hostile persecution. And, and Peter wanted to give them a perspective on the persecution and how to deal with it. Peter wants his readers to live triumphantly in the middle of hostility, without abandoning hope, becoming bitter, losing faith in Christ, or forgetting about his return. Look what he writes in chapter 1, verse 6. He says this, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Peter's book reminds us that in spite of the fact that we're in the midst of hostility, we can be confident with joy rather than alarm or anxiety. It's about living a life that that praises and gives glory to God in the midst of hostility. But the question is this, how do we live in a hostile world and give honor to God? For some of us, living in this culture is hard enough. We are fearful of the riots, concerned about our incomes, frightened about getting sick, worries, anxieties are really at an all-time high. My wife, who's in her final stages of a career in professional counseling, can testify to this as she's being inundated with people with fears and worries and anxieties. And we see in this passage that we are to live in this culture giving honor to God. And we think that's impossible. 
Maybe the early church did as well. Peter outlines, though, in just four verses, our response to give honor in a hostile world. They can be summarized in three words, hopefulness, holiness, and humbleness. First, we respond in hopefulness. Look what it says in 1 Peter 1, verse 13. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. This one verse is, is packed full of stuff. The word therefore at the beginning is always a word of transition from verse 6. It's a direct command to set our hope, a command for duty on the part of every Christian that calls for an act of the will, more than just an emotional feeling. Because we've been saved and because God has given us this great gift of salvation, he says, set your hope. That's the first obligation that we have to live in, to live in hope. Hope is that, that attitude that we have towards the future. Now listen carefully so you understand this. Hope in its essence is the same substance as faith. It's believing God. That's the substance of hope. Only faith is believing God in the present. Hope is believing God for the future. Faith believes what God has said, what God has done. Hope believes what God has promised yet to do. In a sense then, faith is trusting God for the present. Hope is trusting God for the future. Now listen to what Peter says. He's telling the early church and us today that we owe it to God to fix our hope. In other words, to live for the future, to believe God, anticipate the glorious fulfillment of his future promise. You'll notice that after the word hope comes the word completely. Fix your hope completely. It means unreserved. It could be translated as perfectly. Now follow this thought. We owe our God hope. This great God who saved us by grace was generous to us beyond description, who proved himself able to forgive sins, to provide the perfect sacrifice in Christ on the cross and his resurrection, to redeem us. This God who totally transformed us is worthy of our, our confident trust for the future. If he's been faithful in the past, he'll be faithful in the present. He'll be faithful in the future as well. And we're to live in light of that. Now listen, hope in our life is a, is a very healthy spiritual exercise. It transcends us from this passing world. It lifts us up from the mundane. It elevates us beyond our, our circumstances that often are debilitating to most people. And many of you need this. Some of you are hopeful that you can make it through the school year. Some of you parents hope your kids will actually go back to school full time. Some of you need hope of a job to start back up or a marriage relationship falling apart. Some of you need hope to escape loneliness or anger. And the Lord gives us that hope. And we can put our trust in him. But understand this, Peter is not calling us to hope, not so much for how hope affects us, not for what it does in our life. And it does a lot. He's not calling us to hope because of what it does for us. That's not the point. He's calling us to hope because it glorifies God. When you say you truly trust God for the future. You're affirming that God is trustworthy and that, that brings him glory. If you deny God, you doubt God, you're saying in effect, I'm not sure I can trust him. We owe him our allegiance. We should be that loyal to him. Hope glorifies God. And that's what Peter's really after. It's not so much what it does for the believer. He's talking about our hope because God is so worthy. He's saying, you have an obligation as a Christian who has received the great and gracious salvation of God to fix your mind and heart on the grace to be revealed at the coming of Jesus Christ. In other words, you're to live in light of the second coming. Your hope is to look to Christ's second appearing when he comes to reward and glorify his people the day when the whole redemptive work that has begun will be completed, the culmination of our salvation. In this passage, he doesn't focus on the glorious reward that you'll receive. He doesn't say, set your attention on the perfection. He doesn't say, set your attention on heaven. 
no, I, I love this. He says, set your hope completely on the grace. Did you get that? The grace being brought to you. And the day that Jesus Christ comes and glorifies you, gives you heaven and perfection and eternal life in, in, in his presence, it will be all about grace. That's his point. Now, here's how we do it. It says, with minds that are alert and fully sober. He doesn't mean just intellect. He's not talking about the, the whole matter of spiritual and mental attitude. Decisively make up your mind to bring every thought captive, the reality of the grace that's coming in the return of Christ. And keeping sober, sober-mindedness is the idea of spiritual steadfastness, spiritual self-control, clarity of mind, of being in charge of priorities, having discipline of heart, discipline of mind, a balanced life. That's what community groups are all about. It's not just about connecting. It's about staying mentally and spiritually alert as iron sharpens iron, which leads us to the next response. We don't only respond in hopefulness, but we also respond in holiness. Look at 1 Peter 1 verse 14, as it says, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. He says, as obedient children, we've all seen vast differences between obedient and non-obedient children. Many of you hope your children are the obedient ones. That's the difference really though between a Christian and a non-Christian. You can always tell a difference. The character of a non-Christian is disobedience. The character of one who follows after God is obedience. In verse 14, it says, don't conform to the evil desires that you had when you lived in ignorance. Don't act like you used to, simple enough. Don't act like you did when you were a child of, of disobedience. That word conformed really means to fashion oneself. It's the identical word used in, in Romans 12 too. Don't be conformed to this world. This is what spiritual maturity is. When you're in community with each other, we grow spiritually. Then we have the confidence to face the culture. You see, courage emerges not from increased police security, but from enhanced spiritual maturity. You know, these days of violence and riots call for people of faith. Spiritually immature people make poor decisions. They overreact, they lash out, and they retreat. People of maturity, though, on the other hand, keep a cool head. They're not blind or bewildered by the evil in which they live in the world. So we respond in hopefulness, but we also respond in holiness. And because of this, we seek to respond in humbleness. 1 Peter 1.17 says this, Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. Now, fear in this sense is, is a reverence. It's an awe. It's respect. First, he says, fix your hope. Then he says, be holy. Then he says, live a life in humbleness to God, to fear him, to have reverence for him, a holy awe. I love the way he sets this up. Peter says, look, if you're so close to God and you have this intimate relationship with God and you can call him father, then you must also know that you are talking to one who impartially judges according to every man or woman's work. So you had better conduct your life with reverent fear. You know, Proverbs 9 talks about this same kind of, of reverence. Proverbs 9:10 says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. 
and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Now I have to pause here a moment and say there really there, there's a difference between knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge is uh, knowing that a tomato is actually a fruit. Wisdom is knowing that you don't put it in a fruit salad. Wisdom then is is not what I know. Wisdom is how I live because of what I know. Knowledge is knowing a fact. Wisdom is the practical application. Knowing what the Bible says and applying it are two different things. We need both. We need to know what the Lord says to us, but we also have to respond. We have to put it into action. This is wisdom. Again, this is where community groups help as we apply what we learn from the messages on Sunday. You see, the more a person knows about God, the more intimately she fears God. And the more she fears God, the more she fears to offend God, and the more she longs to honor God. It's a profound thought. If you're so intimate with God that you can call him Father, then you must know that he's going to judge sin, so you should live a, a life of healthy fear. It also means that no matter what comes against you, no matter what attacks you, what storms come in your life or in the culture, you affirm in your heart that Christ is Lord, that he's all-powerful and in control. You don't fear the sickness. You don't fear the disease. You don't fear the job loss. You don't fear the financial strain. You don't fear the storms. You live in a holy, reverent fear of the Lord. This is humbleness. You know, Peter must have understood this kind of fear of the Lord when when he left the boat to walk on the water towards Jesus. There's a, there's a narrative in Matthew 14 where Jesus uh, is on the water, the disciples are in the boat, and there's a storm arising, and Jesus is out there walking on the water towards them. And Peter decides to, to join him. Matthew 14, 29 says this, Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. It was fear that propelled Peter out of the boat. He knew what the storms could do. He's heard the stories. He's, I'm sure, seen the wreckage. He knew that these storms could kill. He wanted out. All night, he wanted out. He wrestled with the oars. He searched every shadow on the, on the horizon for hope. But out of this fear would be born an act of faith. For faith is often the child of fear. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Peter must have known that when he wrote this, live out your lives in reverent fear. It's funny because Peter could have been his own sermon illustration. Now, I always wondered if Peter, who had seen Jesus walking on the water, if it was a calm, peaceful day, if, if he would have gone out to him. Had the lake been smooth, like a, like a carpet, the journey pleasant, do you, do you think that Peter would have asked Jesus to take him on the stroll on top of the water? I doubt it. Give a man a choice between sure death and a crazy chance, and I think he'll take the chance every time. You see, great acts of faith are seldom born out of calm calculation. Peter had the knowledge that the Lord was all-powerful, but wisdom reminded him to keep his eyes on him or he would sink. He had the understanding that he had to be humble to the power of the Lord. You know, Later in chapter 5 of 1 Peter, he reminds us this in 1 Peter 5. Starting in verse 6, he says this, Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. I bet Peter knew this. Peter felt this. You see, the word humble is to make oneself low, to assign a lower rank or place, to bring one's pride down, to place yourself under someone else's authority. That's what Peter did. 
It says somebody else is more important than I am, and I'm going to make that the priority. That's what humbleness is. When Peter's out on the water, he, he had to be totally submissive to God's power. The storms were all around, and all he knew was that the water was coming up and he was going down. He looked up and kept his eyes on Christ. Many of you feel like you're drowning right now. The issues that you're facing. And the storm keeps getting stronger. But let me encourage you to keep your eyes on Christ. Once again, C.S. Lewis, who writes so eloquently, says that of humility, that a proud person is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you're looking down, you can't see that what's above you. It's a marvelous to live that way, isn't it? This is the Christian who at his deepest point, the deepest part of his being is totally committed to the great reality that Jesus Christ is Lord and I will honor him as Lord even in my suffering. He's Lord over me. He is Lord even in my difficulty. And I'm going to give loyal, confident submission. And that results in courage, boldness, and fortitude to face a hostile society. It will secure you and you'll feel that security. Proverbs 22 Verse 4 says this, Humility and the fear of the Lord bring wealth, honor, and life. Fear of the Lord is to acknowledge that he's all-powerful, to bring him praise, glory, and honor, the one who loves us so much that he died for us and will come again. When we live a life of hopefulness, holiness, and humbleness, we have the courage to face the culture in which we live. You know, when I see the riots and the chaos on the news, I can't help but think of the Reverend Martin Luther King, who exemplified courage during riots and chaos and persecution in the 60s. He chose to fear God, not to fear those who meant him harm. It was April 3rd, 1968. He spent hours on a plane waiting on the tarmac due to a bomb threat. When he arrived in Memphis later that day, he was tired and hungry, but he wasn't afraid. He said, we've got some difficult days ahead, he told the crowd. But it doesn't matter to me now, because I've been to the mountaintop, and I don't mind. Like anybody, I would love to live a long life. Longevity has its place. But I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will to give him glory, honor, and praise. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountaintop. And I've looked over, and I've seen the promised land. And I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man because mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He would be dead in less than 24 hours. But the people who meant him harm fell short of their goal. They took his breath, but they never took his soul. You see, the calmest kid on the block is not for the lack of bullies, but for faith in our Heavenly Father. As we read earlier Today, the old people of God knew this peace. Though a host encamps me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. Do not give in to your fears when facing the culture. Resist the temptation to retreat and hunker down. This is a time for faith, the season for God-based hope. Living a life of hopefulness, holiness, and humbleness is a choice. I hope it's yours today. Would you pray with me? Well, Lord Jesus, I thank you for today. I thank you for the fact that you're with us, even in the storms, even in the culture in which we live. Lord, I pray that we can respond in a way that is hopeful, 
respond in a way that we strive to be holy. And Lord, that we respond in a way that's humble. We thank you for what you're doing in our lives. Lord, help us to keep our eyes focused on you all our days. And I ask all this in your precious and holy name. Amen.